threat of disaster is never pleasant. Welcome to the Casual Preppers Podcast. These safety measures are essential. The only place for prepping, survival, and entertainment. This will be your source of survival instructions and information. Every member of the family must be coached in the business of survival. Here are your hosts, Cam and Kobe. Let's do a little experiment. Yeah, I got an experiment for you. See what people think of this episode. <laughs> Cameron, how yes. the hell are you? <laughs> I'm hating summer. Yeah, dude. Summer's the worst. I don't care what anybody says. When people are like, what's your favorite season? Midsummer like, is the I bottom. Like summer. Yeah. Like, I, I like 900,000 degrees and sweating <laughs> on every orifice of my body. like, shut up. <laughs> I, I hate you. I hate heat, man. I hate dude, it. I just. And it's like, it's not even fun for kids. They don't even no. want to be outside. No. They want to be inside yeah. and you have to fight them off devices. You get off the yeah. TV, go do something. It's 250 <laughs> degrees outside. <laughs> I, know, like, I don't care. Go out there. Like, you don't even want to go near a window. It's so damn hot. <laughs> and you're like, don't. Go under the car. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, go play under the cars go in the find neighborhood. Some, something away from the sun. I don't care. But it's just. Uh, yeah, just, dude. And then you're just miserable. Yeah. I don't know how people live in like Arizona. No. And like, I don't like we'd mentioned, there's no worse place on the earth if like the power grid went down. No, I would just be like done. That's why nobody lived there before. I know air, air there was nothing. There were like and nine people why there. You're not supposed to live there. Yeah, you're just not. It's basically the gates. Of I got hell. thirsty talking about the heat. <laughs> I just started chugging water. <laughs> just start drinking. Oh man! So today we've got an interesting little uh, episode for you. Yeah, right, Cameron. Yeah. Man, humans <laughs> humans love to do things on humans. They do. They love to just see what happens. So Let's just see what happens. We figured, yeah. why don't we talk about some of the weirdest, craziest research experiments that yeah. have been done? Because Science, why yeah. not? Science is crazy. We've learned a lot from freaking psychopaths doing nasty yeah. procedures on people. It's just amazing that people let other people do yeah. some of these things, to be honest yeah. with you. So. And like... <laughs> Some of them, it's like, what were you, what were you trying to get out of this experiment? <laughs> oh yeah, I just know. because you could. I don't. I'm bored. Yeah, well, I think today though, it's like people get money for doing weird stuff from the government and all yeah. that, and so that's part of it. But some of this stuff was just like well, random. Where people. are we going with this? Just like, well, what do you? you got, I got bored. <laughs> got nothing else. Didn't to have do? YouTube. <laughs> yeah, decided to make some weird things happen. Yeah, so we're we got a whole bunch to talk about today, so we're pretty excited. Yeah, before we talk about those things. Let's talk about how prepping can be pretty overwhelming. Yeah, it can. Lots of things to go over, lots of things to learn. Yep. Self-reliant medical care is no exception to yeah, that. It's sure. super hard. Like, there's a lot of things to learn there. Um, you can make it super easier on yourself and just get the Prepper's Medical Handbook. Yeah. By notice, noted medicine and wilderness expert uh, and survivalist, William W. Forgey. Yeah. He knows his stuff. He's been out there. He's been out off the grid. He's learned how to take care of himself, and he's an MD, and he can teach you through this book. You just read it. It's mm -hmm. great. But I like the book because it has all the, like, basic medical stuff and then the more advanced stuff, Yeah, and it teaches you how to do it, it teaches you how to put your pack together, what medicines are useful. It's like all the medical stuff you need, really, Yeah, in one book. It's awesome. Like, dude, it's one of the best ones that I've had as a medical provider, so... Yeah. Seriously, you should get it. It's the Prepper's Medical Handbook. You can get it at PreppersMedicalHandbook.com or you go to Amazon and get it. And you'll be super Beautiful. happy you did and you'll be able to take care of your whole 
world. That's awesome. Civilization. Get it, boys and girls. All right, so number one, this first, uh, <laughs> my gosh, this is a crazy little experiment. Just the name of it. Elephants on acid. <laughs> all right. Of all the animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's test it, it on the biggest freaking animal so, on planet Earth. What happens if you give an elephant LSD? Well, on Friday, August 3rd, 1962, a group of Oklahoma City researchers decided to find out. Warren Thomas, director of the city zoo, fired a cartridge syringe containing 297 milligrams of LSD (laughs) into Tusco the elephant's rump. With Thomas were two scientific colleagues from the University of Oklahoma School of Medicine. Yeah, right. They were just cousins or something. Let's see yeah. what happens. <laughs> you know what I mean? We By made the- a bunch. We don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Let's, let's just get rid of it. If anybody asks, you guys are researchers from Oklahoma <laughs> School of Medicine. Take these lab coats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come with me. If anybody asks questions, just say you won't understand it's scientific. <laughs> All right. So 297 milligrams. It's a freaking buttload of LSD. Seriously, it's 3,000 times the level of a typical human dose. 3,000 times. They just overshot by a couple thousand. 3,000 times. I mean, obviously, you have to give them more because an elephant is gigantic, but 3,000 times. In fact, it remains the largest dose of LSD that we know of ever given to a living creature. That's a crap. Right here. The researchers figured that if they're going to give an elephant LSD, they better not give him too little since they know the elephants are highly resistant to many drugs. (laughs) So uh, they so later they overshot by tons. <laughs> they later explained that the experiment was designed to find out if LSD would induce moose in an elephant. What's that? It's a kind of temporary madness that male elephants sometimes exhibit during which they become highly aggressive. Why did they want to do that? I don't know. They secrete a sticky fluid from their temporal glands. They re- it's like it, camels do this too. Apparently, it's kind of like a rut for for deer mm. and elk. But it's just like this temper. They just get like all horny and crazy, and they start secreting liquids from their head. It's weird. That is weird. So, whatever Let's the reason, up. whatever the reason for the experiment, it almost immediately went awry. Tusco reacted to the shot if he had been stung by a bee. He trumpeted around the pen for a few minutes and then keeled over on his side. Oh man! Horrified, the researchers tried to revive him with antipsychotics, but about an hour later, he was dead. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So, freaking messed up. This is my favorite part. The three scientists concluded it appears that the elephant is highly sensitive to the effects of LSD. (laughs) That was their conclusion of the whole thing. The book's like this thick. (laughs) Yeah. Four pages. Well, and that's it. So, anyways, let me draw a picture and make one more page. Dead elephant, us scared, (laughs) running away. No secretions from the head. Uh, proposed. <laughs> Anyways, that's elephants classified. Acid. That's I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know what they were trying to get from that. They're like, if we get them all beefed up, yeah. take them to war, man. What are we gonna do with just them? Just gonna destroy tanks. I don't <laughs> like, have like, any. What was their I motive? Know. I don't know. Nah, they're just I trying to get know. rid of all their LSD. <laughs> How we get rid of this stuff? <laughs> Shoot it in an elephant. So this this experiment, the obedience experiment, like it does not surprise me one bit of just how sadistic and weird mm-hmm. uh, people are. People are they hate each other? Sure. So, um, just imagine, for example, mm-hmm. that you're part of an experiment, and that experiment is for you to kill another person. Do you think you would do it? I Do you don't think, think you so. would it would lead you up to doing it if it was done the right way? Well, according to this um, ex- experiment in the '60s, uh, Stanley Milgram, 
was the one that conducted this, mm-hmm. this experiment. And he told subjects they were participating in the experiment to determine the effect of punishment on learning. Mm-hmm. One volunteer who was in reality was an actor. Um, the other were volunteers that would read out the word pairs and give the learner an electric shock every time he got an answer wrong. The shocks increased in intensity by 15 volts with each an- uh, wrong answer. So what I understand from this is like he wasn't actually getting all the voltage, but they just kept cranking it up. So yeah. what was happening is the learner would eventually give, got some wrong answers and then some more and more, and the shocks just kept going up in volts, 120, 150. Jeez. And um, the learner would scream in pain and demand to be let out. Confused, the volunteers would turn and ask the researcher what they should do, and the researcher would calmly reply, the experiment requires that you continue. And so they would just keep doing it. Oh, my gosh. So the person was showing, like, he was in agony, and he was in all this pain, and he was getting shocked by voltage that, you know, most would know this is probably... Not good. ...going to start, you know, you're hurting this person in, in all these different ways, but they just continued on. Um what he really wanted to see with this experiment is how long people would keep pressing the shock button before they refused to participate in the increasing, increasingly sadistic experiment. What they uh, would they remain obedient to the authority, the researcher, at a point of killing someone, or would they be like, "This is yeah. causing way too much, like the voltage is way too high"? But he found that none of them did. They just kept going. Oh my! Nobody up to a point to where they could see that it was a 450 volts. What that they were given the experimenter. Like, they would just keep shocking him. And they were, like, none of them stopped. None oh of them. Oh, my gosh. So he, he said, after he conducted this, he Did he write in paper and say, shocking experiment. <laughs> shocking <laughs> results. Shocking results. <laughs> That's what I would have done. Yeah, that would have been a good one. Yeah. He said, I would say it on the basis of having observed a thousand people in the experiment and having my own intuition shaped and informed by these experiments that if a system of death camps were set up in the United States... Of the sort we had seen in Nazi Germany, one would be able to find sufficient personnel for those camps in oh. any medium-sized American town. Oh, my God. He knew that they would just, like, if they were told to do it, they would just do they would it. just do it. They were just that demented. That's like, creepy, man. Super creepy. Ugh. So it was like, 100%, 100% of them, not one of them was like, I can't do this. It's causing too much pain. Like, I'm going to stop. They were just like, <laughs> <laughs> it was like the, the Ghostbusters. Spirit. Yeah, his <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> gum falls out. <laughs> uh, that off. was the best for funny. I forgot about that show I'm a or that part. Um, huh. But yeah, that was what he proved. Is wow. like people wouldn't stop they, if it was according to an experiment. They would just keep doing it. So well, it's all for science. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. If he dies, if hey, that's he... this guy's experiment, not mine. <laughs> yes. I'm just getting paid five dollars to do this. <laughs> yeah. It don't matter. I don't want to be that part. Yeah. I'll do this part. Oh, but it's kind of like the one. Um, didn't we talk about, or is it in this one? The experiment with the. Uh, Soldier, you might have it in here. The prison experiment. I, I actually think I, we've talked about that before, I but we I had. think I took it out of here because okay. we had talked about so it. So there was before. an experiment where they took college students and mm-hmm. put some in jail, mm-hmm. and some of them as guards, and the guards like turned like psychotic. Like oh, they yeah. were just like they didn't care. They turned in like yeah. they didn't want the experiment to stop. They're they, like, like dictators. They man. were like loving it. Yeah, and so it shows that humans that have authority and power. Over other people become pretty messed up. Yeah, man. That's pretty, crazy. pretty creepy. Well, how about uh, Demikov's two headed dogs? Demikov. Demikov. I got a dog. He's got two heads. <laughs> <laughs> 
1954, Vladimir Demikov shocked the world by unveiling a surgically created monstrosity, a two-headed dog. <laughs> my gosh, people. It's creepy. He created the Say creature. hello to my two-headed dog. <laughs> How many heads does your dog have? Oh, one. I've seen that before. Oh, this is America. The Russian dog have two heads. Russian dog have two heads. Might have three soon if they let me keep going. Who knows? Pretty mean. <laughs> Pretty mean. Bite you twice, idiot. <laughs> it take both legs rip apart. <laughs> uh, he created the creature in a lab on the outskirts of Moscow by grafting the head, shoulders, and front legs of a puppy onto the neck of a mature German shepherd. <laughs> Seriously, I don't get this. Demikov paraded the dog before reporters from around the world. Journalists gasped as both heads simultaneously lapped at milk bowls and then cringed as the milk from the puppy's head dribbled out the oh unconnected gosh. stump of the esophageal tube. <laughs> Seriously, what is wrong with people? What the, oh my gosh. <laughs> The Soviet Union proudly boasted that the dog was proof of their nation's medical preeminence. <laughs> it's Pretty soon we have soldier with two head, huh? Yeah, what do you think? <laughs> Vladimir did good, huh? <laughs> high five for you, high, high five. five for you. Would you like to breed my dog with your dog, huh? <laughs> See what happens, maybe? Oh, um, in dog show this year. <laughs> Number one dog in the world. Not just not just Russia, in whole world number one dog. <laughs> you get treated and you get treated. Twice the bark, twice the bite. <laughs> this dog is beautiful. Awesome. Very good. <laughs> Very good. Next dog. experiment. Next experiment. <laughs> Bring me the fishies, huh? See what happened there. Over the course of the next fifteen years, Demikov created a total of twenty of his two headed dogs. None of them lived very long as they inevitably succumb to problems like, of fine. tissue. Like, I don't even know how you start this. Like, what do you do? All right, we're going to cut this dog in half. <laughs> see if it lives long enough till we get it grafted onto this dog. Yeah. Like, how do you do it? I don't know. And yeah, wasn't it dying because of like rejected tissue? Yeah, the rejected like, tissue was the problem. Very good. Highly what? advanced medical. One of them lived for a month. Wow. So that's pretty dang good, Poor right? Animal. That's not bad. But here... Listen to this, though. Demikov explained that the dogs were part of a continuing series of experiments in surgical techniques with his ultimate goal of uh, being to learn how to perform a heart and lung transplant. So he was, mm. you know, trying to figure it out, like, if we took it from somebody else and put it on this guy. So I guess the creepiness had some... Yeah, it still doesn't make any sense. You <laughs> yeah. think you would use a heart from a dog and put it in another dog, yeah. you know? Um, another we'll surgeon. Start with head. <laughs> Let's start with head, shoulders. I can see legs. it. It looks at me. Then we know it's working. <laughs> I can't see inside the dog if the heart is. I can't beating. see kidney working. I have to see face. <laughs> Spleen. I don't know if it works or not. But the the, the dog will bark or he will eat. Huh? If he's drinking milk, it's working. <laughs> Maybe that's what he was saying. Uh, yeah. Have to see dog bark. Yeah. Bark, dog, bark. <laughs> also, he can see it. Look. Come here, puppy. See it. He see it too. Two heads and can see it. Oh, man. Anyways, that's the two-headed dog. That's Demikov. Pretty freaking awesome. Demidog. Demikov. Demidog. Um, so this one, when we've talked about experiments before of like homosexualism, we need to cure it. We got to figure out a way to fix it. Yeah. And that's what this 1954 experiment was done is to try and um, initiate heterosexualism in a homosexual male. Oh. 
James, Good luck. James Olds and Peter Milner. You know, I think with most of these experiments, the one thing that I've realized is scientists are sexually deprived. And <laughs> yeah. most of the time, it's just like well, anything to do with sex yeah. and like uh-huh. breeding and stuff. I'm going to watch it for a minute, <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> Doesn't it seem that way? It's like there's, there's a lot so of that many weird of stuff. Them. Yeah, like, I agree. What are you doing on this experiment? Nothing. I just I watch people who have sex. <laughs> I'm learning, I'm writing notes. I'm learning. You can read my report afterwards. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. You're ruining my experiment. <laughs> now I got to start over. All right, hold up, hold up, hold up. Quit your section. I got to I gotta get these people You two wash up, come back in 10 minutes. Start it over. Bring in the homosexuals afterwards. <laughs> We're going to do something else. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. So it's like, it's like always these weird experiments. Yeah. So these two, James Olds and Peter Milner mm. of McGill University, the ones that write Peter all the Peter and Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> Peter and Jimmy up there have been doing experiments for a long time. Yeah. So discovered that the septal region um, in the brain is, is the feel good center of the brain. Okay. So, they put some electrodes into a rat mm. and would see what it would do and realized that it can self-stimulate itself and it would um, mm. maniacally bang the lever up to 2,000 times an hour. <laughs> that's a lot So they're of like, banging. well, that's pretty cool. Why don't we put it in a human? Yeah. Um, in 1970, Robert Heath of He's Tulane, the one who made the candy bar. He- <laughs> Candy bar man. After all the sexual study, I'm gonna make candy bars. Delicious, crunchy, chocolatey candy toffee bar. What I've learned from all this. Uh, yeah, I guess the other two I was I shouldn't have bad mouth. They just did it with a rat. Yeah, that's not too this bad. guy, candy bar maker from yeah. Tulane University, dreamed up far more novel application of Olds and Milner's discovery to do it on a human. He referred to his homosexual subject as patient B-19 because he wanted to see if he could transform a homosexual into a heterosexual. Sure. He inserted Teflon-insulated electrodes into the septal region of B-19's brain and then gave um, B-19 carefully controlled amounts of stimulation. I don't know. (laughs) What is that? (laughs) I hit one and then I back it off. (laughs) (laughs) And then I go to one and a half. feel good? (laughs) I'm going to go real slow. I'm going to eat this candy bar while I watch you. (laughs) (laughs) How's that feel? Have you seen that two-headed dog? (laughs) (laughs) This feels good, don't it? How about three? (laughs) How about three? Chocolatey. (laughs) Carefully controlled. Interesting. Interesting. I got to get another candy bar. Write this down. (laughs) Soon the young man was reporting increasing stirrings of sexual motivation. Oh, hell yeah, he was. You want... (laughs) You want a candy ball or do you want something else? Yeah. He then rigged up the device to allow B-19 to self-stimulate himself. Wow. It was like letting a chocoholic <laughs> loose in a candy shop. <laughs> well, that was interesting. Yeah. He's bars all day. B-19 quickly became obsessed with the pleasure button. Yeah. In one three-hour <laughs> session, he pressed it 1,500 times until, as Heath noted, he was experiencing an almost overwhelming euphoria and elation and had to be disconnected. No more pleasure You're button, done. boy. B-19, you're finished. <laughs> done. <laughs> Get out of here. Should have never gave you this power. Uh, by this stage of the experiment, B-19's libido, libido 
was so jacked up that Heath decided to proceed with the final stage. Oh. It's time to bring in a female. <laughs> and let's see what he'll do, because he's a homosexual. Yeah. Um, with permission from the state attorney general. What? Yeah. Gave him Heath permission? arranged. That guy's probably like, yeah, I've been part of Operation Climax. Go ahead. Go right on ahead. Um, the 21-year-old female prostitute was... Uh, able to come visit the lab and he Mm -hmm. placed her in a room with b19 for an hour b19 did nothing just but then the prostitute took initiative and a successful (laughs) sexual encounter between the two success heath considered this is positive (laughs) all right buddy everybody's shaking hands eating candy bars this will go down in infamy we can change them all we did it Little is known of B-19's later fate. I'm like, what? They just discontinued after that. They didn't we even... figured it out. It's over. That's it. We got it. We got all we needed. Bring all the homosexuals in. <laughs> we got to figure it out. Heath reported that the young man drifted back into a life of homosexual prostitution. Oh, he's a prostitute. But geez. that he also had an affair with a married woman. He just made him buy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Heath optimistically decided that he, uh, that this showed that the treatment was at least partially successful. For sure. However, Heath never did try to convert any more homosexuals. So yeah. he tried. He said, man, looks like it kind of helps. But yeah. Never moving mind. Moving on. Going to go do candy bars now. <laughs> I got, I'm on to something. This tastes good. It's <laughs> yeah. toffee and chocolate. Getting me aroused, though. I did something wrong. I don't know if it's <laughs> eating and watching this or yeah. if it's just the bar itself. It's good. Combined. Yeah, so um, that was a weird experiment. That was weird. How about this? The isolated head of a dog. These poor puppies. My gosh. So scientists, they've kind of always wondered whether it would be possible to keep a head alive apart from its body. But it wasn't until late 1920s that someone managed to pull off this feat. Soviet physician, of course, (laughs) Sergei Brukhanenko. Bru... Bruken, Brukhanenko, <laughs> is that right? I don't, I don't know. know. Developed a primitive heart lung machine. Yeah, he called it the autojector. <laughs> this is the autojector. <laughs> it's the autojector. <laughs> that was like a. That was weird. <laughs> this is the autojector. <laughs> it did. It like caught a weird yeah, vocal cord. It was. And with this device, he succeeded in keeping the severed head of a dog alive. He displayed one of his living dog heads in 1928 before the International Audience of Scientists at the Third Congress of Physiologists of the USSR. To prove that the head lying on the table was really alive, he showed that it reacted to stimuli. He banged a hammer on the table and the head flinched. He shone a light in his eyes and the eyes blinked. He even fed it a piece of cheese, which promptly popped out the esophageal tube on the other end. I know. His uh, severed uh, dog head became the talk of Europe and inspired the playwright George Bernard Shaw to muse, I am even tempted to have my own head cut off so that I can continue to dictate plays and books without being bothered by illness, without having a dress to dress and undress, without having to eat, without having anything else to do other than produce masterpieces of dramatic art and literature. I don't even know if he's British, but he's got to be. Could you imagine, like, yeah, yeah I could see being, a, like, to a point of not being hassled by, like, food mm. and all that. But it's like forever just ahead <laughs> like <laughs> i made a big mistake this, uh, can't kill myself they put me in this storage shed <laughs> keep your head on boy you'd lose your head if i wasn't screwed on 
I guess the nutrition just stays in your head. You don't, <laughs> don't have to know. eat or anything. Yeah, I don't get it. How do you breathe? Like, I, I doesn't make I know. Any sense. It's like no. You got to have the auto ejector. Yeah, it's true. It's the only way. Blood ain't going to be so, reproduced. Anyways, Nothing. poor little puppy. Yeah, that does suck. Yeah. So, um, sorry, I bumped my button. I scrolled down too fast. Now, monkey head transplant? No. We're Number six, vomit. human ape hybrid. Oh, wow. I'm way up there. I don't know what you did. I did. I scrolled like clear <laughs> past like 17 notes yeah. down the road. Um, for decades, <laughs> rumors circulated that alleged Soviets had conducted. Mm -hmm. Man, I know. Always Soviets. Freaking the Nazis <laughs> are the worst. And then they've been doing all this Look crap. Look over at the Germans. They do weird things. <laughs> Pay attention right? to them, not to us. <laughs> Shut up, yeah, puppy avalanche dog. over here. <laughs> um, but yeah, experiments to try and create a human ape hybrid by breeding chimpanzees and humans. It but it awesome. wasn't until the collapse of the Soviet Union that the opening of Russian archives, that would have been awesome. Oh, yeah. That the rumors were confirmed. Dr. Ilya Ivanov mm. was a world renowned expert on veterinary reproductive biology. But he wanted to do more in life in life than just breed fatter cows. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the fat cow's good, but I want something more. <laughs> I just need something more substantial for my <laughs> legacy, you know? I got four books, help breed fatter cow. <laughs> Give me some more Been material. there, done that. Let's move on to something else. I breed fattest cow in the world. You see that the guy got a two-headed puppy dog? Huh? <laughs> I just two. I got my puppy dog. He's <laughs> Italiano. Um, but uh, you got to. We got yeah, to see a guy this. without that two-headed dog. Ah, uh, the meatball, huh? That's a spicy meatball. It's <laughs> a two-headed dog. Yeah. Um, in 1927, he traveled to Africa to pursue his vision of interbreeding man and ape. Again, As deprived. Yeah. Thankfully, his efforts weren't Which way successful. does it go? How do you do it? That's what I was wondering, but yeah. th this kind of tells you. Okay, does it? This was due to both, um, it, it didn't, it wasn't does, successful. It didn't work. Both okay. due to genetics and, uh, people agreeing to this crap. Yeah. Um, for whom he, uh. And to the native staff of West Guinea Research Facility, mm. who he worked with, they're like, we ain't doing this. <laughs> if they had found out what he was you really doing. You want to bring what? <laughs> yeah. You want what now? Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Get back up to Russia if you want to do that weird <laughs> shit. And you're the good that makes feather cow, huh? <laughs> Go get me a ribeye. <laughs> I ain't doing this weird stuff you want to do. <laughs> um, they found, that he wrote in his, his diary, this could have led to very unpleasant consequences. <laughs> now that I think about it, uh, maybe it's better. The necessity work. of carrying out his work in secrecy made it almost impossible to do anything, although yeah. he did record two unsuccessful attempts to artificially inseminate female chimps with human sperm. Good so He's trying to grow a baby in a chimp. Yeah. Frustrated, Ivanov eventually returned to the Soviet Union. He brought an orangutan with him named Tarzan. Of course. <laughs> back. Uh, hoping to continue his research in a more accepting environment. Back home, he advertised for female volunteers willing to carry Tarzan's <laughs> child. And remarkably, he got a few takers. They're what? Like, eh, we'll do it. I do. Okay. Oh, chimpanzee, mm -hmm. huh? Ooh, do I need man. to have sex with chimpanzee? <laughs> no. Cowman want me to uh, breed with a monkey? That sounds crazy. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's the one thing I never done. <laughs> Put finger down if you've done this. I've never done it. Uh, take it. <laughs> sounds like a man. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take that monkey and I do my best. I am a prostitute. <laughs> 
Um, but then Tarzan died, and Ivanov Gosh. was suspected of harboring counter-revolutionary uh, sentiments and was sent off to prison camp oh, for a couple great. years. This ended his research. Of course. There are vague rumors suggesting that other Soviet scientists continued Ivanov's work, yeah. but nothing has been proven. Interesting. So, they got some eight people over there. I guarantee there's still some. some. Sitting around somewhere. What's Siberia. experiment? There's like kids are just like swinging on bars. What experiment <laughs> we talk about? Kids with tails swinging up and thing. <laughs> yeah, we don't do that here. Hey, monkey boy, come down from three. Huh? You got to do your homework. <laughs> I just picture the kid on Jumanji. <laughs> I know. Huh? Yeah. What? Uh, the, a little snack? <clears throat> um, this guy is weird. Old Carney <laughs> Landis. In 1924. That's a weird name. <laughs> I know. Hello, I'm Carney Landis. I'm Carney Landis. I'm a graduate student from the psychology of the University of Minnesota. <laughs> so he wanted to experiment to study whether emotions evoke characteristic facial expressions. So oh, that's, yeah. For I instance. I hadn't read this experiment. I saw the title. Is there one expression everyone uses to convey shock or, you know, or disgust? Is it the same one? So... He got a bunch of people. Uh, he brought a man to his lab, painted lines on their face, a, bunch, a whole bunch of lines to see, so he could really see the movement of their muscles, you know. So then he exposed them to a variety of stimuli designed to provoke a strong psychological reaction. So as he re reacted, he snapped pictures of their faces. He made them smell ammonia, look at pornographic pictures, <laughs> and reached their hand into like a bucket of slimy frogs, <laughs> made them do a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> How you like that? How'd that make you feel? Let <laughs> me draw your face. <laughs> Super weird looking. I'm going to draw your face, take a picture of it for later. <laughs> oh, no. Mama's going to want to see this reaction. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just see him drawn, but making the same expression. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all just like stick figures that you draw. <laughs> Yeah, no, like really, like no help at all. <laughs> he has no artistic yeah, ability. None. This didn't go very well. Yeah, I couldn't draw their face. This was when they were shocked. <laughs> this was when they were Just scared. Has little lines by their head. <laughs> yeah, well, that doesn't look any different. Um, but the climax of this experiment arrived when he carried out a live white rat on a tray, and he said, "Decapitate it." <laughs> Decapitate the rat. Oh, wow. Most people initially resisted his request, but eventually two thirds of them did it. Wow. Yeah. See, there you go. I know. In the in the art of experiments. Here's like, the worst part. I'll kill it. He noted that most of them performed the task quite clumsily. The effort and attempt to hurry usually resulted in a rather awkward and prolonged job of decapitation. Oh, <laughs> I, oh. I know. It's like, have a sharp sword there for him or something. <laughs> but, like, just let him... It's bleeding everywhere. <laughs> oh, what do I do? I don't make it... Stop making that noise. You cut it through the mouth. Oh. <laughs> My fingernails are short. How do I do this? <laughs> they got... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you, did you take the picture of my face yet? <laughs> I want to go home. Yeah, your tongue's out. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, his experiment presented a stunning display of the willingness of people to obey the demands of experimenters. There you go. Again, no matter how bizarre that's those so demands creepy. may be. Um, but basically, uh, it didn't. There, there was a wide variety of expressions. So, nothing really <laughs> happened other than that. That was weird. <laughs> Move on. I know. What else can we do? What else can we figure out? That was a weird experiment. I don't even want to write about it. Chalk that one in the weird pile. Let's have it move on. 
<laughs> weird pile. <laughs> weird experiment. Yeah. Throw yeah. that. I don't even have anything to say about Throw that. Throw that. Too weird. Pile. Yeah. Um, the vomit drinking doctor. What? This guy is disgusting. Okay. It sounds Obviously. disgusting. But, um, you know, like through, uh, medical experimentation they always like would test things on themselves or prove their point yeah. with like oh, i'm gonna inject myself with this and see. it's always at the movie where it's like we haven't tested this and then the guy's in the corner i'm doing it for yeah. the usa <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah um that's kind of what this whole thing is about yeah so stubbins firth firth there's two f's yeah <laughs> i don't know if it's stubbins, stubbins firth two stubbins f two b's two f's <laughs> nice dr firth you got a two puke. f's don't get me confused. <laughs> you got a puke? <laughs> I'm thirsty. Um, he was a Philadelphia doctor trained in the early 19th century. All right. Having observed the yellow fever that ran riot during the summer, but disappeared during the winter, he co- concluded that this must be because yellow fever, contrary to popular opinion, was not a contagious disease, a la COVID. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Instead, he theorized that it was caused by an excess of stimulants, such as heat, food, noise. Mm. A lot of noise gets you, gets you yellow fever. <laughs> Watch out. Quiet down. You Don't kids be sick. quiet, you can get yellow fever. How do you want that? <laughs> no good. Um, but uh, to get proof, he had to prove <laughs> what he was, you know, what his theory was. Sure. So he's like, I'm going to do it on myself. So he did it in the most disgusting way ever. He started making small incisions on his arm and pouring Fresh black vomit. Oh How do you know if it's fresh? Gosh. It just came out. Hurry and put it in. <laughs> Make an incision here. <laughs> Go for you it. You know what? Just puke on my arm. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to cut it open. So the weirdest way possible, he's like cutting his, he cut his arm open and was putting fresh black Ugh. yellow fever laden vomit into his cuts. He didn't get sick. Like, boom, look at that. <laughs> He did dribble some vomit in his eyes. Oh, my God. Then he fried some in his skillet. Oh, my gosh. What is wrong with <laughs> Dr. Farth or whatever the hell his name is? Firth. Farth. Farth. He was, yeah, he would fry it in the skillet what? and inhale the fumes. He's like, yeah. <laughs> I ain't getting it. I ain't getting it. Let's bake it. Let's fry yeah. it. Oh, yeah. He fashioned it into some pills and swallowed it. Oh, my God. Finally, he took to drinking entire glasses of pure, undiluted black vomit. That is the worst thing I've ever heard. And still, he didn't get sick. He's like, oh, look at this. I'm fine. I'm a miracle of science. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> I love me some vomit. Can I get a little ice for this? It Whoa. is. Look, it's like Firth. I know. Firth. Rounded out his experiment by liberally... Smearing oh himself gosh. with yellow fever tainted fluids, blood, saliva, perspiration, oh. urine. Give me that yellow fever sweat. <laughs> I want it on Give my me body. That yellow fever. <laughs> um, healthy as ever, he declared that the theory was proven. Unfortunately, he was dead wrong. Yellow fever is actually very contagious, but it required direct transmission into the bloodstream. I don't know how the cutting didn't do Jeez, it. Jeez, I know. Usually by a mosquito <laughs> to cause infection. But considering all Firth did to infect himself, it is a bit of a miracle he remained alive. Wow. That's disgusting. What a nasty dude. I hope he's he probably ended up being like a gynecologist. No, that is the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Dr. Firth Frying can kiss up it. vomit. Yeah. yeah. Well, they puked on my cut. <laughs> I rubbed the urine on my body. <laughs> well, we haven't fried well, it how yet. How can I prove... Yeah, I'm just fried. We can make waffles with this shit. <laughs> See how it goes. <laughs> you yeah, hear that? I'm falling it. Yeah. I ain't feeling sick one bit. I'm gonna brush my teeth with it, maybe. 
<laughs> now, that I is... I kind of <laughs> grew to get a little liking of the fresh black vomit. <laughs> I like to put some on my oatmeal for breakfast. <laughs> a little molasses, <laughs> a little black vomit. It's one of the best pancakes yeah. you have. So well, that's going to taste disgusting, but you know what's not going to taste disgusting? Yeah, this is, is a good one. Nutrient survival, <laughs> you guys. It's not black vomit. No, this is, they 100% do not use black vomit in any <laughs> of their food. Because you know what? It's top shelf, delicious, special ops grade nutrition designed to the nutritional standards of the U.S. military, but intended for people like us. Made with real ingredients, made in America to keep <laughs> Americans healthy, strong, and alert. Perfect for today, ready for anything ahead. From hearty, delicious entrees and nutrient-dense snacks to immunity-boosting drinks and strength-building shakes, each with 40 essential nutrients available on Handy Singles, Daily use pantry packs, durable cans, three to 90 day survival kits, keeping your world safe and your body in peak condition. This isn't your cheap, empty calorie, bland food storage. This stuff <clears throat> has nutritional value and it tastes great. They're on the go packs. They're perfect for bug out bags, perfect for EDC bags, emergency kits, perfect for camping. You just add water, it's ready in minutes. And it has a surprisingly awesome taste. Go to NutrientSurvival.com. Use our code CASUALPREPPERS. You're going to get 10% off your order, and you're going to support the podcast. So go get that stuff way better than black vomit. <laughs> <clears throat> like, uh, immensely better. Yeah. And it, it'll last 25 years, some of that yeah. stuff, so it's great. Probably healthier than we eat now. Most you might likely. might as well go get it. Most <laughs> likely. Mm-hmm. Um, now, how about... You ever heard of a head transplant? <laughs> yes. A puppy. <laughs> a puppy. How about a monkey head transplant? Yeah, why not? Why not? <laughs> Vladimir Demikov. <laughs> so he, this wasn't him. This this is the oh, other guy. Oh, it wasn't? He unveiled his two-headed dogs in 1954. Oh, that's right. Okay. I was like, another guy. We talked about that. It inspired a strange kind of surgical arms race between two superpowers. Yeah. Or rather, to some weird a thing. head race. All right. <laughs> Eager to prove that its surgeons were actually the best in the world, the American government began funding the work of Robert White, who then embarked on a series of experimental surgeries performed at his brain research center in Cleveland, Ohio. That's my brain research center. <laughs> it's my mom's basement, but it says brain research center on the door. That's just Brian research center. Right, that's my brother. Okay, <laughs> brother Brian White. <laughs> I'm Dr. Robert White. <laughs> Brian White. <laughs> but I had no other place to go. <laughs> but most people don't notice that. No, yeah, you got something wrong with your brain. You spell <laughs> yeah. it wrong. Um, it resulted in the world's first successful monkey head transplant. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah, I didn't. It, it occurred on March 14th, 1970. <clears throat> so weird. Why? I don't know. It took White and his assistants hours to perform the carefully choreographed operation, separating a monkey's head from its body and reattaching it to a new body. They had to kill two monkeys to do this thing. <laughs> Hopefully it wasn't like a person monkey from Russia. <clears throat> you know? Maybe they just put it back on the same body and they didn't realize it. We're just going to stitch some stitches right here. And put it on. Them. Did we switch the body? No. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, we'll just tell people. All these monkeys look exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, <clears throat> anyways, when the monkey woke and found that its body had been switched for a new one, it angrily attacked White with its <laughs> eyes. With its eyes? <laughs> Snapped at him with his teeth. <laughs> Um, Look at these eyes. I'm pissed. <laughs> I'm so mad. You ever seen a monkey attack a boy with its eyes? 
I did. Where's Brian? I was in a, a lab assistant, and it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it happened. Um, the monkey survived a day and a it half. It snapped its teeth at him, too. Yeah, did both. <laughs> did both. The monkey survived a day and a half before succumbing to complications from the surgery. We don't know why it died. Surprise, surprise. Still had a body, still had a head, didn't didn't live. It's exactly the same as it was when we cut it off. I don't understand biology one bit. <laughs> don't get it. Stubborn little monkey. <laughs> yeah. It didn't want to just keep that body. Yeah. Try to give him bananas. I don't know. Didn't want to live. <laughs> what else you do? <laughs> what else you do? Gonna, I don't know. I'm going to go play some Atari. Um, as bad as it was for the monkey, it could have been worse. White noted that from a surgical point of view, it would have been easier to put the monkey's head on backwards. <laughs> for some reason, he noted that afterwards. One strange thing is the monkey said he probably yeah. put it on backwards yeah. to begin with. Probably been easier backwards. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I already did have yeah. it backwards. So White thought he should have been treated like a hero, yeah. but instead the public was appalled by what he had done. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you all. <laughs> Dr. White will be back. I ain't fixing your brain. <clears throat> Screw your brain. <laughs> your all your brains are screwed. <laughs> don't, don't even ask me. <laughs> see what happens when you have brain disease. You get shot in the brain. Yeah. I ain't helping you. Me and my brother Brian are going fishing. <laughs> Screw you guys. Brian, let's get out <laughs> of here. Get the hell out of here, Brian. <clears throat> What's the one Brian White like song? <laughs> I don't know. I can't have no idea. Nevertheless, White sing it, but I can't remember. White Soldier Dawn campaigning to raise support for a human head transplant. A white soldier dawn. Yeah, he soldiered on. I can see what you said. Yeah, there. yeah. Um, he's like, well, we did it almost with the monkeys. So let's just do it with a person. They're smarter. <laughs> yeah. He yeah. he uh, toured with Craig Vediviz, a near quadriplegic. <laughs> near. <laughs> he's almost. This guy's almost a quadriplegic. Quadriplegic. Can't move his he's pinky. Like, I ain't, I'm fine. <laughs> Guys, I'm fine. My pinky's broken. I wheeled in here. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, you're practically a quadruple. <laughs> Don't listen to Craig. His brain's broken. I'm a brain doctor. I know what sure, I'm doing. Mean, his arms are acting for themselves. <laughs> he volunteered to be the first to undergo the procedure. I did not volunteer. <laughs> he tied me up. <laughs> he tied me up. I'm not here under my own volition. Um, but today, a human... I'm here for a prosthetic in a new wheelchair. <laughs> No, you're not. I got something to tell you. <laughs> Look at this monkey. How would you like a whole new body? <laughs> yeah, think about it. <laughs> think about what you can do. Yeah. You want to run again? <laughs> you want to swing from trees? <laughs> I, I monkey did this for a day and a half. Yeah. He almost bit me with his eyes. But anyways, this hasn't been, they haven't done the human so head transplant say. yet. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> that happened. So yeah, yeah that, that was happened. conducted in Brian's lab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um uh, the remote control ball. Oh. Yale researcher Jose Del Delgado stood in the hot sun of the bull ring. I stood in, in the hot, hot sun. <laughs> <laughs> the bull's coming right at me. Jose man. Delgado stood in a hot hot sun. <laughs> He sounds like a poem, man. Yeah. This guy. Oh, this guy. And this bull is coming at me. He's picking up speed really yeah. fast. And I got very scared. I said, oh, no. But when it about hit me, I hit the button <laughs> and it stopped. Jose Delgado will leave to tell the story. <laughs> but that's exactly what the experiment was. Okay. So he got in there in the ring 
and he was going to demonstrate the ability of the stimulceiver. What? So, well, not the auto-injector. Okay. The stimulceiver. Stimulceiver. Is to manipulate behavior. Okay. The stimulceiver. The stimulceiver <laughs> was a computer chip operated by a remote control unit that mm-hmm. could be used to electrically stimulate different regions of the animal's brain. Uh-huh. Such stimulation could produce a wide variety of effects, including... Involuntary movement of the limbs. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> the eliciting of emotions such as love or rage uh, or the inhibition of appetite. Huh. It could be used, uh, it could also be used as Delgado showed to stop a charging bowl. Great. So, yeah, he got in the ring, come charging at him, and he was calm as day. He's like, hey, look at me. Eh? <laughs> Jose, don't sweat. <laughs> I'm in the heart of the sun. Hot, hot and sun. boom, stop, bowl. <laughs> I am um, God now. <laughs> Everybody, I, I am the captain now. <laughs> um, his experiments sound so much like science fiction, but many people were surprised to learn that it occurred in 1963. Wow! During the 70s and 80s, research into electrical stimulation of the brain (ESB), not in what's his butt's brain, Brian Lab, yeah, languished, stigmatized by the perception that it represented an effort to control people's minds through thoughts. Oh, yeah, yeah. But more recently, ESB research has once again been flourishing with reports of researchers creating remote-controlled rats, pigeons, and sharks. Birds? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. They've been doing that for quite some time. Uh, well, Jose, man, it takes balls. Yeah. It takes big cojones, man. Big ones. That's so, a good one. Yeah, that one's interesting. I got a story to tell you. It's about the ape and the child. <laughs> All right? So history, it contains a number Wasn't of... Wasn't no transplant stuff? No, no, no. Okay, okay. History contains a number of accounts of children raised by animals. You know, we've all heard the story of the jungle book, maybe. <laughs> and I don't think yeah. that's real, but, you know, there's been a lot of stories like that. <clears throat> the children in such cases often end up behaving more animal than human, even when they're returned to human society, right? Tarzan. This made Yeah. This made the psychologist Winthrop Kellogg, the serial magnate <clears throat> he wondered what would happen if the situation were reversed what if an animal was raised by humans no one's ever had an animal in their house before <laughs> think about it yeah well, what about dogs and cats dr kellogg anyways what if it was what if it was raised <laughs> dr yeah. kellogg just eat your cornflakes <laughs> you're delicious by the yeah. way what if an animal raised by humans as a human would it eventually act like a human Oh, yeah. That's what he was wondering. So to answer this question, in 1931, he brought a seven-month-old female chimpanzee named Gua into his home. He and his wife then proceeded to raise her as if she were human, treating her exactly the same way they treated their 10-month-old son, Donald. <clears throat> so they had Donald, they had Gua, raised them both as humans. <laughs> okay? Donald and Gua, you they... go get your sister up. She's a monkey, <laughs> but fine. I guess, I'll, yeah. I mean, you're 10 months old, so it wasn't really saying much. Oh, he was 10 months? 10 months. Oh, that's right. That's right. Donald and Gua oh, played, yeah. they played together. No. Yeah. Uh, they were fed together. Um, and the Kellogg's subjected them both to regular tests to track their development. So one such test was the suspended cookie test, <laughs> all right, in which the Kellogg's timed how long it took their children to reach a cookie suspended by a string in the middle of the room. <laughs> I mean, if you're not, 
like tipping the scales towards the monkey, I don't know, but that sure sounds like something a monkey could do better than a ten month old human. <laughs> Doesn't it? <laughs> Let's see who can climb a tree the fastest. <laughs> Get up there. Donald, you're Donald. you're stupid. You idiot, Donald. <laughs> Got a brain fart. Something going on. <laughs> I'm disappointed you're my son. Get over here, Goo. Goo, I love you. Yeah, you get an extra bath time tonight. <laughs> Donald, you're sleeping in the tree. Yeah, Donald, you're sleeping in the garage, you dumb idiot. <laughs> you know what? You're going out to live with the monkeys. I want to yeah. see what you grow. I'm in trading the- you guys. Trading you in. So Goo obviously regularly performed better on such tests than Donald. Physical tests. Yeah, yeah. But in terms of language acquisition, she was a disappointment. <laughs> Goddamn monkey can't talk yet. I only got one that can't freaking climb a tree, but talks okay. This one can't talk and climb a tree. Uh, Which one am I going to keep? This is the best. Despite the Kellogg's repeated efforts, the ability to speak eluded her. Yeah. She can't speak. What do we do? What are we doing wrong as parents? Our monkey boy can't, monkey girl can't sleep or speak. (laughs) <laughs> or sleep. <laughs> Disturbingly, <laughs> it also seemed to be eluding Donald. <laughs> Nine months into the experiment, his language skills weren't much better than Goo's. <laughs> How are they talking to him? I don't know. When one day, uh, when when he one day indicated he was hungry by imitating Goo's food bark. <laughs> The Kellogg's decided the experiment had gone far enough. What's a food bark? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you want some cornflakes? Get it to her quick. <laughs> oh, that was Donald's. <laughs> I forgot. I'd Shut up, Goo. Oh, hell, that was Donald's. Donald? Yeah. Oh, no. So they, uh, they decided that it had gone. So later on, Goo became a prestigious doctor. <laughs> yeah. And Donald. Donald eats cornflakes in mom's basement all day long. <laughs> 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 he's weird one. <laughs> he just grunts all day. We bring yeah. cornflakes down. He's fine. <laughs> That's just Donald. He wants more cornflakes. Uh, yeah. oh. Anyways, so on March 20th, 1932, they shipped Gua back to the primate center. Oh, they did? They're yeah. like, can't talk, get out. <laughs> she died a year and a half later of a fever. <laughs> I don't know why that was like important. Yeah, but anyways, it happened. As you died of a fever. So that's the ape and the child story. That one's one's a good one. Yeah. (laughs) Poor Donald. Uh, All this led to the invention of (laughs) cornflakes. Enough grunting goes on, you get some cornflakes. Oh, gosh. Um, Okay. Yeah. Well, let's talk about um, my fingernails taste terribly. Did you read any of this one? Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. This one's my favorite one. Okay. So in the summer of 1942, Professor Lawrence LeShawn. 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 Stood in the darkness of a cabin in upstate New York. Uh, I don't know why. This one makes me laugh because this is the creepiest thing ever. Okay. So he stood in the darkness of a cabin in yeah. upstate New York camp where a row of young boys lay sleeping. Whoa, this is the starting of a bad story. He spoke ain't it? aloud, repeating a single phrase over and over. My fingernails taste terrible. <laughs> bitter. My fingernails taste terribly bitter. Oh my gosh. Lee Sean wasn't mad. 
he was conducting a sleep learning experiment. All oh. the boys have been diagnosed with a chronic nail as chronic nail biters. Is that still a diagnosis <laughs> I, today? <laughs> I don't know. I know what the problem is. I'm sorry to tell you, your son's a chronic nail biter. Why, why don't you take a seat? No, I'm sitting down for this. <laughs> Little Billy is a chronic nail biter. The worst part is, is this is how we're going to treat it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, LaShawn wanted to find out if nocturnal exposure to a negative suggestion about nail biting would uh, cure them of their bad habit. That makes kind of sense, so, I guess. So LaShawn initially... Used a phonograph to play the message over and over. Okay. My fingernails taste terribly bitter. My fingernails oh my taste terribly bitter. Um, this is like what the book, what's the book that they did this? Um, the Huxley book. Ah, I can't remember what it was. Is that they, about like sleep? Well, no. I mean, it's like a futuristic book that was written like in the early 1900s. Oh, really? And like when the kids go to bed, they play this stuff oh, I don't over remember and that. over. Yeah. Aldous Huxley. I can't remember um, the book, if uh, it faithfully repeated the phrase, uh, faithfully repeated the phrase three hundred times, the phonograph at, at night as boys slept. But five nights into the experiment, the phonograph broke. Five weeks. I'm sure kid broke it. Five Lash- weeks into the experiment. Five weeks. Yeah. Lashawn impro- improvised by standing in the darkness oh and gosh. speaking the message himself <laughs> <laughs> all night long. My fingernails taste terribly bitter. My fingernails My taste fingernails terribly bitter. Terribly bitter. <laughs> the whole time he's biting his fingernails. <laughs> um, at the end of the summer, LaShawn examined the boys' nails and concluded that 40% <laughs> of them had kicked the habit. Uh-huh. 40%. Wow. The sleep learning effect seemed to be real. However, other researchers, this is a fart, later disputed this conclusion. In 1956, experiment at Santa Monica. Uh, college, William Emmons and Charles Simmons used an uh, electroencephalograph Jeez. to make sure subjects were fully asleep before they oh. played the message. So they were just like, oh, <laughs> like he's just standing over there in the dark. <laughs> My fingernails taste terribly bitter. My fingernails. And they're like, <laughs> I can't sleep. LaShawn doesn't So lie. they determined under these conditions, wow. the sleep learning effect disappeared because they weren't fully asleep. They were terrified. They were, yeah. They were like, I ain't biting these for the rest of my life. Hell no. <laughs> these are weird. I'm sure going to sleep, they're like, if I have to come back to this summer camp one more time, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to kill myself. See you boys later. Yeah. Remember. LaShawn out. Remember, my fingernails <laughs> taste terribly bitter. Oh, that is creepy. I know. That's I was like, creepy uh, as it comes. that one made me laugh because I'm like, that guy was dedicated to some weird <laughs> stuff. <laughs> the experiment must go on. <laughs> Um, how about the electrification of human corpses? That sounds fun. Yeah. 1780, the Italian anatomy professor Luigi Galvani <laughs> discovered that a spark of electricity could cause the limbs of a dead frog to twitch. Ah. He's like, ooh, this is interesting. <laughs> I don't know what that was. Um, soon, men of science throughout. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, this is very interesting. Very interesting. Mario, come over here. This is very interesting. Uh, bring that spaghetti. We're going to do an experiment. Look at the chocolate frog. <laughs> uh, soon men of science throughout Europe were repeating his experiment, but it didn't take long for them to bore a frog. This is just boring. <laughs> frog again. La, la, la. <laughs> <laughs> la, da, 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 da. Ribbit, ribbit, ribbit. Yeah. Um, so they turned their attention to more interesting animals. For instance, they wondered what would happen if you electrified a human corpse. <laughs> right from frog? <laughs> There's no in between. No. What that... is the next uh, step? <laughs> <laughs> I think a human. Be- oh, I, <laughs> I know. I'll take it to human, huh? <laughs> 
<laughs> what do you think? A person to be very interesting. That's a be a spicy a meatball there, huh? <laughs> Galvani's nephew, Giovanni Aldini, uh, embarked on a tour of Europe in which he offered audiences the chance to see his stomach-turning spectacle. His most celebrated demonstration occurred January 17, 1803, when he applied the poles of a 120-volt battery to the body of the executed murderer George Forster. When Aldi placed wires on the, murderer, yeah, on the mouth and ear, the jaw muscles quivered, and the murderer's features twisted in rickets of pain. <laughs> the left eye opened as if to gaze upon his torturer. For the grand finale, Aldi hooked one wire to the ear <laughs> and plunged the other up the rectum. <laughs> this is the grand finale. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. we go. What do you think is going to happen here, huh? Watch this. <laughs> you put it in the butthole. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, I'm going to lose my spaghetti. Oh, no. <laughs> Everybody be amazed. <laughs> <laughs> Watch it. <laughs> it goes up the bottle. Everybody will be amazed. Uh, my uncle will be so proud of this. <laughs> um, he thinks he's a fettuccine. It's a very good. <laughs> Watch this. Watch this uh, red sauce here. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I love that that's the grand finale. And now what you have been doing it for? In the butthole. He just yanks the pants down. <laughs> the audience gasps. <gasps>, <gasps> and now it's in the butthole. <laughs> the, corpse, <laughs> the corpse broke into a hideous dance. <laughs> Watch the murderer dance, huh? That's creepy, man. They were, uh, the London Times wrote, It appeared to the uninformed part of the bystanders as if the wretched man was on the eve of being restored to life. Yeah, that's creepy. That's what they were scared of. Other researchers tried electrifying corpses with the hopes of restoring them to life. but they had an accordion, like... So anyways, that's they actually think that a lot of this is where uh, Mary Shelley got the idea for Frankenstein. It makes a lot of sense. In 1816. So. Creepy. Ugh. Um, so this one, seeing through cat's eyes. Okay. Um, kind of cool. Yeah. Not super weird, but kind of weird. <laughs> 1999 researchers. Oh. So that was like a long, Not long time ago, ago. which is kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, researchers led to Dr. Yang Dan. <laughs> you mean Dan Yang? Nope. Yang Dan. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> Yang Dan. Yeah. An assistant professor of neurobiology at the University of California, Berkeley, anesthetized the cat with sodium pentothal. Okay. Chemically paralyzed it with nor norcoron. I've never heard of any of these. <clears throat> and secured it tightly in a surgical frame. They then glued metal posts to the whites of the eyes. What? Forced it to look at a screen, and it showed scene after scene of swaying trees and turtlenecked turtle wearing the, men. That is creepy. That is a really creepy, like, let's find some weird stuff. Um, it wasn't a form of clockwork orange-style aversion therapy for cats. Instead, it was an attempt to tap into the creature's brain and see directly into its eyes. Oh, through its eyes. Yeah. That makes sense. The researchers had inserted fiber electrodes into the vision processing center of the cat's brain, and the electrodes measured the electrical activity of the brain cells and transmitted this information to a nearby computer, which decoded the information and transformed it into a visual image. All right. That's kind of weird, though. That is like, weird, yeah. To be able to... It's like... 
what's that movie that came out? It was like visualizing the things they were thinking. You know, it was like, oh yeah, you know the had Spider Man in it. Yeah, Tom Holland was yeah. in it. Um, but I always thought that'd be creepy. It's like, oh yeah, man, you're just like in McDonald's. And Please like, don't some let of the stuff. Somebody on. see what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. Um, as they watch the images of the trees and the turtleneck wearing guy, the same images emerge slightly blurrier on the computer screen. Across wow, the so, it actually worked. It did. That's crazy. The research researchers suggested that the pictured quality could be improved in future experiments by measuring the activity of larger number of brain cells. Wow, they probably have that down to like. 4K now. Yeah, that's crazy. Super weird. Wow. What are you looking at? I'm going to find out. Now, this next one is, this was definitely needed for science. <laughs> so, if you know about male turkeys, they're not super fussy. Uh-huh. You give them a lifelike model of a female turkey, they're going hard, right? <laughs> I mean, any turkey hunter knows this. That's why they put out those yeah. uh, decoys, right? But... They these researchers were like mm, Martin Sheen, Shine and Edgar <laughs> Hale. I was like, oh. It wasn't that Martin Sheen, Martin Shine of the uh, University of Pennsylvania. It made them curious about what might be the minimal stimulus required to excite a turkey, <laughs> right? So they embarked on a series of experiments to find out. Basically, what they did is they got a whole model of a female turkey, let the turkey out, boom, turkey's excited, going hard. <laughs> Then they just started removing parts one by one of the of the model of the turkey to see if it would still keep going, right? They, they had a tail. They move a tail. They remove the feet. They remove the wings. They were all removed, but the male bird still waddled up to the model, let out an amorous gobble, and tried to do its thing. <laughs> Finally, the researchers were left with a head on a stick, and surprisingly, the turkey still showed great interest. <laughs> Um, in fact, it, I don't care. It preferred a head on a stick over a headless body. Oh, really? It's all about the Just head. About it. It's all about the head. Need a face. So if you take the head off of the body, it's like eh, I don't know if that's a turkey. Wait a minute, you guys are messing with me? <laughs> it's like down to nothing, and it's like yeah. everything seems fine. I take sh- the head away. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Ain't you no dumb idiot. Screw with me. <laughs> you guys just getting off on watching me do this? What's happening? Something got real weird and that, I can't figure it out. That's what a turkey sounds like, by the way. <laughs> so, Shining Hell's this is Southern. <laughs> yeah. Subsequently investigated how minimal they could make the head itself before it failed to elicit a response. <laughs> they <laughs> shrink in the head. <laughs> Little baby head. They discovered that freshly severed female heads impaled on sticks worked the best. But if the male turkey had nothing else, it would settle for a plain balsa wood head. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the end of that. It would do it. It would do it. Well, we learned a lot for the human race today, boys. Good job, everybody. Yeah. Hey, hey, Carl, good job on the balsa head. Yeah. That was good. I didn't think this was going to work, but (laughs) hell, it it worked. It didn't look like a turkey to me, but the turkey sure (laughs) did. You sure fooled old Butterball over there. (laughs) (laughs) He's satisfied. I'll tell you that right now. Now cut his head off. Now cut his head off. I'm hungry. You need a turkey sandwich. (laughs) That's super weird. Yeah. That was a good one. Oh, yeah. That was a good one. Um, This one I like because. This is not surprising. Mm. Would you go to bed with me tonight? No. Imagine that it's 1978 and okay. you're a young woman rock, walking across. Young man. The, a young man walking across the campus 
of Florida State University. Okay. Beautiful female stranger approaches you and says the exact words, I've been noticing you around campus. Whoa. I find you to be attractive. Would you go to bed with me today? I'd look around and be like, where's my buddies? Yeah, They're exactly. messing with me. Exactly. Yeah. If you were that man, you might have thought that you had gotten incredibly lucky, mm-hmm. but not really. You were actually an unwitting subject to a design, uh, an experiment designed by psychologist Russell Clark. He's like, dumb kids. <laughs> yeah. Watch so this. he had persuaded the students of a social uh, psychology class to help him find out which gender in a real life situation would be more receptive to a sexual offer from a stranger. I could have told you this. I could have summed this up and just wrote the paper that day. Yeah. So young women and uh, young men and women from his class fanned out across the campus and began uh, pro- uh, propositioning strangers. Yeah. The results were predictable. 75% of guys were happy to oblige to attract a female stranger. I thought it would be higher than that, honestly. I uh, thought it would be 90%. There must have been some uh, for the other team. Yeah, must have been. A few who said no officially or typically offered an excuse such as, I'm married. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a good I can see that, I guess. But not a single woman accepted the identical offer <laughs> of an attractive male. Not one. Not one? In fact, most of them, there must have been some ugly dudes in that social. Yeah. So, you would think one would. I know. Most of them demanded the guy to leave her alone. Get out of here. Get out of here. At first, the psychological community dismissed Clark's experiment as a trivial stunt, but gradually his experiment gained acceptance and eventually praise for how dramatically it revealed the different sexual attitudes of men and women. That makes sense. Yeah. So basically, um, women are not going to give in for sexual things. Makes a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah, it does. Yeah. The men are like, sure. Yeah, why not? It's heading over psychology. I got eight minutes before class starts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, guys, I got to tell you about Off the Grid. Their summer 22 collection is out right now. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Go to the website, Off the Grid Surplus. They've got brand new shirts, brand new pants. I haven't taken a look. Brand new shorts, Cameron. Tank tops. I have seen even. the new shorts, though. That's true. I have seen Tank them. tops, even. And they have new hat styles available as well, Ooh. if you like hats. Which most people do, because hats are great. I love hats. Yeah, they keep you know the sun off your head and all that kind of stuff. So they've got some really cool stuff right now. And, and if you haven't tried their shorts, Cam and I can't speak highly of them enough. Yeah, seriously. Seriously. I wore some to, again this week, and I was just like, gosh dang, I love these they suckers. They make good clothes. They're so good. Yeah. So go to offthegridsurplus.com. Get an extra 15% off with our code CASUALPREPPERS15. This is the only code we have that's a little bit different. Casual Preppers 15, you're going to get 15% off everything they have, and you're going to be super excited about it. Yep, we've sent, they've sent us some to try, and I've bought my own. Yep. I bought my own because I love it so much. Because it's so good. Yeah. Okay, this next one, this one is actually really, really interesting. In 1822, a fur trader on the Mackinac Island yeah. in Michigan was accidentally shot in the stomach and treated by Dr. William Beaumont. Despite dire predictions, the fur trader survived, but the hole in his stomach n- that never healed. It it just kept, stayed there. Recognizing a unique opportunity to observe the digestive process, Beaumont began conducting experiments. You know what? Let's try something real quick. (laughs) This is the craziest thing. He would tie food to a string and insert it through the hole into the stomach. Oh, wow. Then every few hours, he would remove the food and observe how much had been digested, and then he'd put it back in. (laughs) A couple hours later, he'd pull it out. This might seem really weird, but what actually, year was this? Eighteen twenty-two. So there wasn't really anesthesia. No. Yeah. yeah. But that I mean, the hole weird. was just there, and he yeah. just—I mean, I don't think it hurt I think that with much. Cows, they do that. I mean. Yeah. So 
It sounds gruesome, but it actually led to worldwide acceptance that digest digestion was chemical and not mechanical. Wow. They thought that you know something was going on in there. Little guys in there, yeah, hammering away at. <laughs> but it's actually chemicals, and that's like one of the that's first things. Crazy. That's crazy, huh? I Thank thought that goodness was, for the gunshot. I thought wound. that was actually what happened cool. to that guy. I wonder if he died. I don't know. Put something in he shouldn't have. Yeah. We'll see what his shoe does. Yeah. Man didn't do nothing. <laughs> yeah. Well, piece of study coal shows. <laughs> Study shows cold does not break down very yeah, well. Yeah, not great for the stomach. People die. <laughs> the end. <laughs> um, the effect of radiation on testicles. Ouch. How did we learn about that? I don't know. Well, between 1963 and 73, dozens of Washington and Oregon prison inmates were used as test subjects in an experiment designed to test the effects of radiation on testicles. What? Bribed with cash and the suggestion of parole. <laughs> that is the, the worst. The suggestion <clears throat> of parole. 130 inmates willingly agreed to participate in the experiment conducted by the University of Washington on behalf of the U.S. government. Of course. Yep. In most cases, subjects were zapped with 400 rads. <laughs> I'm surprised their nuts didn't fall off Jeez. right there. Yeah. In the uh, the equivalent amount of 2,400 chest x-rays. Good gracious. In 10-minute intervals. However, it was much later than that the inmates learned the experiments were far more dangerous than they had been told. In oh 2000, the former participants settled a 2.4 million class action settlement from the university. It should be more than 2.4 million. That's nothing, nothing man. Yeah. Sure. Here you go. Oh Sorry about your gosh. nuts. That's crazy. And your that's cancer, nuts, man. And your prostate cancer and all your other problems. Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's literally nuts. <laughs> um, how about 1956 and 1957? The United States Army conducted a number of biological warfare experiments in the cities of Savannah, Georgia, and Avon Park, Florida. This freaking blows my mind. Mm. Listen to this. In one such experiment, millions of infected mosquitoes were released into oh, the two cities. I think I remember hearing about this. In order to see if the, about it, if the insects could spread yellow fever and dengue <sighs> fever. Dude, not surprisingly, hundreds of researchers contracted illnesses that included fevers, um, respiratory problems, stillbirths, um, encephalitis, and typhoid. In order to photograph the results of their experiments, Army researchers pretended to be public health workers. Several people died as a result of the research. Oh, that just that makes you feel so confident in <sighs> the United States government. That just pisses. No wonders me. people are like, yeah, ah, uh, yeah, I'm not getting that. Freaking nuts, dude. Why won't people? go through with getting vaccines and stuff. It's like, you guys ruined your history. Yeah. Like, you Don't know. fall. Um, this one I think is pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> the three Christs of Ypsilanti. I don't know how to say I that. I think so, yeah. In 1959, there were three patients with schizophrenia who became quite famous. Each of them believed he was God. Ah, classic. A book about them classic. is titled The Three Christs of Ypsilanti. Milton Rochit. Rokich. Rokich, author of the book, was a social psychologist. He put the three men in contact with each other in an effort to determine whether <laughs> one or more would abandon his delusions of divin divinity as a result of being in contact with the others. All right, you three are God. Figure yeah. it out. You who's, guys are now roommates. Who's more godly? <laughs> we got three gods living in one room. Yeah, can't be three of you. Nah. So figure it out. Little change in their belief. Uh, beliefs uh, were recorded, <laughs> although one showed temporary improvement. Mm. Yeah, maybe I'm not. 
<laughs> well, these two guys, uh, well, maybe you I guys seem way better. <laughs> yeah, like you're a little bit more holy. You're smarter. Yeah. I, you know what? I'm not. I really don't even have any powers to speak <laughs> yeah. of. I don't know. The three men stayed in in residence at the hospital for the remainder of their lives. That's crazy, dude. Yeah, that's a nutty. That's pretty funny though. They're yeah. like, oh, you think you're God? Oh, you think you're God? You know what? Get together. Yeah. Figure out who's got y'all gonna have some lunch and see what happens. <laughs> I would I would like to conduct that experiment. Um so Stockholm University conducted a study that proves chickens don't like ugly people. <laughs> and we needed to know this. That's such an awesome study. <laughs> Dr. Stefano Gerlanda of Stockholm University's experiment rests on the understanding that when a chicken pecks a photograph of a person, they do so because they find that said person attractive. Oh, they like to peck it if it's I won't peck you. You're attractive. Yeah, yeah, peck you, baby. Chickens seem to be largely heterosexual, as determined by <clears throat> step one of the process. Individual chickens were first shown a picture of a human male and one of a human female. The hens usually peck the men. That's so crazy. While the cocks peck the women. <laughs> right? That's awesome. That is awesome. When the chickens were presented with seven different images of people, the same images college students were given to rate zero to ten in terms of attractiveness. Roughly 98% of the time, the chickens pecked the most attractive person in accordance with the student's rating. That's crazy. It makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. So, uh, if you're That's ugly, crazy. you got to be good looking to be a good chicken Don't herder. buy some chickens if yeah. you're an ugly person. Yep. That's pretty crazy, though, huh? Yeah. Why are you taking my picture? No reason. No reason at You're all. You're rated a three. <laughs> um, <clears throat> here's your picture back. No pecs in it. <laughs> no pecs. Get out of here. <laughs> um, Robert E. Cornish brought dogs back to life in the 30s using seesaw technology. That's a way to do it. Yep. Well, take these dead dogs over to the playground and see what happens. Bob, what are you doing? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> trying to get some dogs yeah, alive. Make sure that puppy don't fall off. <laughs> Just trying to bring him back to life. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Robert E. Cornish of the University of California, Berkeley. Man, what are they doing? There? I don't know. Who wished to master mostly. death? He's like, oh, <laughs> I got a master in death, Mom. I got a master's in death and a what minor. What you studying? Death. Minor in life. <laughs> he unsuccessfully attempted this with humans, so he tried it with dogs. <laughs> How did he do it with humans? I don't know. Either killed the person or he went yeah. and hurried and dug them up. He actually did see success there. On two occasions, he managed to bring dogs back to life that had just been killed by uh, nitrogen gas suffocation. Okay. After the dogs were dead, Cornish fixed the dog to the seesaw and began lifting them up and down to circulate blood flow while injecting them with anticoagulants and epinephrine. Wow. The dogs returned to life and went on living. Whew. After his his dog's success, Cornish wanted to try the method on a human once again, a death row inmate named John or Thomas McMonagle. Yeah. Thomas McMonagle. Thomas McMonagle. At your service. <laughs> Why don't you use my body? <laughs> Thomas McMonagle will do it for science. <laughs> Get me on that seesaw. What were you on here for? Armed robbery. <laughs> Armed robbery. Oh, crap. <laughs> That's all? Okay. Kill him. Offered his body for experimentation post uh, execution, but the state of California wouldn't allow it. Fearing the murderer would just be immune to further prosecution if he returned to life via the double jeopardy clause. <laughs> makes sense, though. Yeah. I was like, yeah, wow. makes total sense. Smart. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Yep, I'll do it. Yeah. Bring me back to life. Yeah, I'll, I'll volunteer. I'm a new person. McMonagle's yeah. back. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. Give me a lawyer no right now. Double jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> bum, 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 bum. <laughs> McMonagle's on the loose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. 
right. that's cool though. That is cool. The the, the he was like pretty, you know. Yeah. The California was like no. Nah. This guy's gonna want. This one might be the dumbest one I've ever heard. The University of Minnesota determines swimming in a syrup (laughs) is no more difficult than swimming in water. (laughs) Edward Cussler, who oversaw Michael Hopkins' 2004 experiment at the University of Minnesota, admitted that the bizarreness of the idea is a reason it received funding. Sixteen people of varying swimming skills swam in a regular pool and in a pool of guar syrup. Which I had is, to look that up. Like, I don't even know what it is. I think it's like <clears throat> kind of like xanthan gum. Oh, okay. It's like, which a, is, it's like a thickener. It's twice as thick as water. The differences in their recorded times were negligible. That's, That's so thing. weird. That's it. A liquid's a liquid. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you would think, I guess, that it would be Try it's it thicker. Try it honey. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, you sticky son of a bee. <laughs> um, so that's oh, all we got, guys. Man, we, we do have science. A, there are some good experiments yeah. out there. There was more, there too. Some terrible. Oh, there's a, ton. there's a lot more. We do have the latest battle box. We're excited about that. We're going to tell you about it right this second. All right? The Here first item, mission go. 89, is the pocket shot. Woo! Where's the pocket shot? That's the, the condom slingshot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thing. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. And we got the Rescue Essentials Battle Does it bandage. come with marbles? Yeah, it does have a few. Comes with BBs in there? Mm-hmm. Pocket shot. Pocket shot. And then we have the Rescue Essentials Battle Bandage. That's cool. Yeah, you got to have bandages, especially if oh, you're in yeah. battle. Especially if you're in battle. <laughs> and then you got the Decibels Custom Molded Earplugs. I actually thought this was pretty cool. Yeah. They, how did they get my custom shape? Yeah, I don't know. That's cool. Um, and then you go but to it the, must. it must... Like, you, you, you heat them up or something. Ouch. <laughs> I'm gonna see a lot Maybe of new not. patients. I <laughs> know. Um, then we Burn go. To the advanced box. This is my favorite item. The Dead Fish Co. Winge Alpine Foldable Chef Knife. Yeah, we have Dude, it is cool. So it's a, basically a chef knife that's foldable, so you can take it with you camping. <laughs> that's cool. And I don't know. I just put mine in my kitchen because I Your love mobile kitchen. I love my Dead Fish uh, knives. I do too. I use them. And so I just put Every this one day. in the kitchen, man, because it's pretty <clears> rad. <throat> Ooh, what you doing over there? Getting her out? It's an experiment. An experiment. <laughs> gotta be. Gotta be. Get, oh, it doesn't slide open. <laughs> no, you gotta like, I think it just pops open. Dude, that's way cool. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. So it's like a- Chop, 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 chop. Yeah, exactly. It's the noise it makes. Chop, chop, chop. That's chop. pretty sweet. Yeah, I'm excited about that one. And then you go to the Pro Box, and we have the Nikron H35 1000 Lumens Headlight. It's pretty dang cool. And it has like two lights on it or something. Yeah, I like that. A spot beam and a flood beam. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So that, that thing is cool. 1600 that's pretty good. And then you got the Pro Plus Knife of the Month, M3 Tactical M3 Force Recon. So that's the latest battle box. And if you guys want one, use our code Casual Preppers. You're going to get a free knife sent to you. So that's that's an awesome deal. It's a deal you can't beat. Yeah. So anything else, Cameron? No, that's it. Go Beautiful. on. Create your own experiments at home. Do it. Stay survived. <laughs>